2: California and Texas and New York. And we're going to South Dakota and Oregon and Washington and Michigan. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. Yeah! Trying to figure out if the Easter Bunny is immune to COVID 19. It's election shock therapy. Holy Week Edition. Hey, guys.
1: <laughs> wow. Is he? Or she it?
2: Well, I guess a tiger got uh, coronavirus, so I feel like all bets are off now, man. <sighs> Although, to be clear, it was not one of Joe Exotic's tigers, so there wasn't that serendipity <laughs> of every news story. all
0: I mean, apparently it I started about. with bats, right? So who knows where it can go and come from.
2: Okay, it started with bats, but I don't – can I be honest? I'm not, an epidemi- I'm not an epidemiologist. I'm Chris
0: Moore, by the way, and joining yeah. me in this Google <laughs> Hangout are – Andy Bramson, also not an
1: epidemiologist. Matt Kukum, definitely not an epidemiologist.
2: And Sam Mulberry, e- efforting trying to be an epidemiologist, but I'm <laughs> not,
1: right. not there
0: yet. Right, so Sam, i a you know, you know, so, so we, maybe we can parody an epidemiologist.
2: <laughs> we know the coronavirus is present in bats, and it was present in the area of China where the disease originated. But do we actually even know? how
1: the transmission occurred
2: between bat and human i don't want to know that
1: (laughs) some of the what what i was reading was that i mean in this area you had bats that carry it because bats have weak immune systems because they use most of their energy for flying and so they can't get rid of the virus themselves and so um, they can transmit this perhaps through bites perhaps through fleas to livestock um, or other wild mammals, um, which then are killed and then sort of displayed in open air marketplaces that we know have serious problems with sanitation, and mm. that's where somehow the transmission gets to humans. Um, I don't know, we don't know if it's through you know airborne or if it's through you know the handling of these uh, yeah. of this raw meat or, or what exactly, but that seems to be from what I was reading um, the general method of transmission. But
2: well, that makes some sense. Okay. Um, I honestly, it's not that important at this point. Uh, it's maybe marginally important for when we eventually try to curtail future outbreaks, but this is, yeah, that's water under the bridge or bats under the bridge if you will. Um, that's not what we got here to talk about. We got, we, we gathered together today, um, because I wanted to talk about a even more, uh, near to us, um, disaster of epic proportions. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm, I'm talking about, and as
0: usual, we're talking about
2: <laughs> politics, <laughs> politics, and specifically, okay. So this is election shock therapy. We haven't had much election to talk about. Andy, what did you, How did you describe our current uh,
0: state of affairs in electoral politics right now? It's like that great Tom and Jerry cartoon that I watched as a kid. Um where like Andy cat... and grew up in the
2: 1920s, by the way. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. My, my father had Super 8, and we had a Tom and Jerry cartoon, and it was involved Tom playing the piano and Jerry dancing. And so every time Tom would play the piano, Jerry would dance and they would stop fighting and try, mm-hmm. you know, trying to kill and destroy each other. Um, as long as the cat played the piano and the mouse dance. But as soon as they stopped that then they would go right back to their usual behaviors and that's where it kind of feels like right now I mean with starting COVID 19 I suppose as the piano <laughs> <laughs> and we're all dancing to that tune and so uh, we are sure are we sure
2: are large in large ways the electoral process is off uh, Joe Biden is campaigning from his basement I'm not <laughs> kidding uh, he's got a little <laughs> studio stuff in his house. Uh, Bernie Sanders is doing most of the same right Uh, Donald Trump is getting a it really this is an eerie repeat in some ways of 2016 because Donald Trump is getting a lot of free media because he's holding daily press conferences which he should be by the way I'm not criticizing that at all Uh, but he's giving doing daily uh, updates um, on the federal government's coronavirus response and uh that's where we stand right uh things have mostly wound down most states have actually postponed their uh on uh, um, their primaries except for the state to the east of us wisconsin
0: even now they are
2: slowly so sam could pick up the audio of me saying wisconsin <laughs> see the second time you said it with an i instead of an e so that's better yeah <laughs> um, I know I, that I've said it twice with, with uh, no other audio crosstalk. You can take out whichever one you want, plug the other one in. <laughs> yes, apparently, as a redneck Ohioan, I say Wisconsin too much. <laughs> so, all right, guys, um, Wisconsin is holding its primary today in person, uh, people are voting at polling stations, but with a lot of controversy. So, mm. in the short, Basically, the governor of of Wisconsin tried to get this tried to basically postpone the uh, the the primary, which a lot of other states have done as well. States like Ohio, um, uh, Illinois, I think did did a postponement. Um, Others have postponed as well. Uh, But um, there's a difference of problem. With Wisconsin, which is that it's not just a primary. There are a number of uh, uh, state electoral offices being uh, determined in this, in this vote, including as right. um, right. a member of the state supreme court. I think is up for a, is up for election.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: So the governor said, "I don't have the power to do this." So he called a special session of the state legislature. The state legislature, which is not democratically controlled, is Republican controlled. Got together for exactly thirty seconds, which was the time it took them to gavel in and then move to adjourn and gavel out. Uh, So they clearly didn't like the idea of a special session and um, they gathered together in one to make that point. So they didn't make the decision. The governor then, feeling uh, pressure, then made an executive order postponing the primary, which the Republican-led uh, legislature immediately challenged. The challenge went all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court, and in a 5-4 vote of the U.S. Supreme Court, they determined the governor did not have the power to ex- by executive order to, to postpone the primary, and so the primary is continuing today. Now, that's not without repercussions. Um, Sorry, I'm I'm monologuing here, but I'm going to get your guys' input on this. Um, A bunch of uh, major cities uh, in in Wisconsin have uh, um, seen a huge decrease in the number of polling places, right? Um, Green Bay, Wisconsin went from 22 polling places down to three or five, mostly because polling workers just won't show up. And so um the National Guard has been mobilized to staff polling locations. <laughs> uh, I'm not kidding. And and yeah. it is a kind of a, a show of commitment to this, the Republican Speaker of the House uh in, in Wisconsin is actually himself manning a polling place today as a to sort of help staff it, right? Um and nice. his argument is this is safe. We've created precautions to keep people um to prevent the spread of 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 COVID nineteen. But this is a real weird and very controversial approach uh, to this election. Okay, now, I think that's the lay of the land. Do you guys have anything else to add to the actual facts on the ground?
1: Because if not, I want to get to the why of this. So my understanding is that the Supreme Court um, did not issue on a ruling on the question about whether the um, election should be postponed. They issued a ruling on the question of the absentee ballot, uh, deadline extension. Um, yeah. so, so there are That's, two separate, you're,
2: you're absolutely right. So there you are two separate.
1: There's two separate le- legal things going on here, um, simultaneously. So <laughs> basically, um, Wisconsin opted not to propose postpone its April 7th elections. The governor claimed that he didn't have the authority to do this unilaterally. And of course the legislature didn't take action to postpone it. Um, and so, Instead, the Democratic Party and some left-leaning groups sued, seeking for additional accommodations. Mm. Um, At this point in the lawsuit, um, the the federal judge who issued a ruling basically went one step further than what the Democratic Party was asking and decided to unilaterally extend the deadline for mailing absentee ballots instead of um, basically saying the law says in Wisconsin that the ballots have to be sort of postmarked by Election Day. Basically, the judge unilaterally said we're going to kick that back a week. Um, and this was upheld in the appellate court, and then the Supreme Court stepped in on April 6th. Um, this is Monday, and basically overturned the lower courts, saying that um, the lower courts are basically in violation of Supreme Court precedent, that's, and the Supreme Court had set precedent in other cases, saying that district courts can't step in and change election rules on the eve of an election. Um, and so that's why they threw that out. At the same time, on April 6th, what you had is Um, The governor um, issuing basically an executive order that then would postpone the elections, um, saying that now that the health department had issued a, a public health, basically declared a public health emergency, that gave him the authorization to go ahead and unilaterally postpone this at this point the conservative legislature, or the well, the Republican legislature, um, basically, then they sued, that made its way up through the state court system, and then the Wisconsin legislature, excuse me, the Wisconsin Supreme Court, um, which is controlled by a conservative majority, then basically um, said to the governor, no, you have to hold the election today, right. so two different court cases, two different supreme. Right. That's orders. right, I conflated that, you're exactly right. Um,
2: How did it come to this? Why why are the parties in Wisconsin so sharply divided on this, where there really seems to be a lot more of the Tom and Jerry bipartisanship uh, that Andy described at the beginning?
1: I mean, Wisconsin state-level politics has been dysfunctional for a while. Um, I've heard it said. I'm not from these parts, so um, I will (laughs) defer to you gentlemen on this, since you're more local. Um, But... I mean, it's a really high-stakes election. Um, so, as you pointed out, um, and one of the important things about the state supreme court uh, election that that you know is happening as we speak, um, as well as the appellate elections, is that um, the state supreme court is going to play probably a pretty pivotal role and the re- congressional legislative redistricting process, which is going to happen um, this in, in mm-hmm. basically the next couple of years. Wisconsin's yeah. probably a good chance to get a seat because um, everyone's leaving Illinois <laughs> and a lot of yeah. them are going to Wisconsin. So in um, Indiana. So so we'll see. Um, so the stakes are really high. Um, the Republicans, you know, quite clearly, um, you know, are seeking an advantage in this. Um, and they, they think that by um, you know holding the election now as opposed to holding it later, um, this will improve their chances because the sorts of people who um, are going to have trouble getting to the polls, perhaps they think are um, going to lean more Democratic, although that's not entirely clear um, either. But clearly, they think there's an advantage in holding the election now as opposed to in June. Of course, the Democrats understandably um, think that um, we need to postpone it because of the public health um, um, you know, emergency, and it's, it's dangerous. Quite frankly, I would agree with them on that. Of course, they might have something to gain electorally as well. So the stakes are really high, and this is kind of Wisconsin politics as usual. Um, yeah. But I think it's interesting that you have a federal judge sort of stepping in, probably when the federal judge shouldn't have Done this, and then the Supreme Court steps in, slaps them on the wrist, and says, "Hey, no, you can't do this." Even though the Supreme Court probably wasn't too happy about having to step in to this context. Right. So all around it's just really sloppy and messy.
0: Yeah, and we should know. I mean, the Supreme Court, you know, made their ruling right along partisan lines as well. I mean, like yeah, exactly. you said, four yeah, true. judges of the right saying you can't do this; we have to stick with this precedent, and the four judges on the left saying, you know, this is an extraordinary situation, and in fact, we should do exactly. Um, this kind of thing under these circumstances, right? So, so there were we see that same kind of deep division up at the court level as well. Andy, yeah, there's any
2: precedent for th- for disease or other kinds of national crises for delaying or
0: changing the dates of primaries, or even changing the dates of elections in our country? I mean, I just I don't know, Matt. I don't know if you know of examples of that or Sam, um, but I can't think of. I can't think of examples of us of us shifting it for those reasons. I mean, I've certainly seen you know in countries I study and <laughs> in, in other places <laughs> in the world um, those kinds sure. of. I mean, right? You know, just a few years back, Nigeria delayed their presidential election um, because of you know their, their security concerns about Boko Haram, right? I mean, um, so you know, some pretty serious reasons. And again, there there was concerns about you know, are you trying to manipulate? sort of, you know, how this ends up. Right. Um, and Nigeria is hardly, you know, who the United States likes to think of itself as, you know, in terms of like comparable level of democracy. Right. But I, I can't think of an example in U S history and I may be wrong. I'm
1: not sure. Well, yeah, if it, sort of, it's well, pretty ahead. rare if it does happen. I don't, I can't think of an example off the top of my head either. So. I wonder if it's, and it's more, um, it'd be worth going back
2: to look to see if there's any sort of like hurricane or something that's yeah. delayed state level elections
1: at some yeah. point yeah but something is widespread across multiple states yeah. multiple regions you know that that seems to be unprecedented absolutely yeah, yeah. 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 i do want to ask you to speculate a little bit
2: we haven't we have a sense that the people who show up to vote in primaries tend to be more partisan uh yep. more ideological and more fringe than the people who vote in general elections yep we also have a sense, at least this is the this is what's happening in Wisconsin, is uh, that certain um, people are more likely to show up or not to the polls. Now we know that coronavirus disproportionately is more dangerous for people over the age of sixty. Uh-huh. But what do we think the likely? Um, the likely effect of, a, of coronavirus is going to be on Wisconsin turnout. Do we have any sense of that? Is it going to make the, the voters skew older? Is it gonna make them skew
1: wealthier? Uh, what, what's the likely effect here? I mean, I haven't looked at any data closely. Um, I mean, I think you are gonna see, I mean, you will see lower turnout because of just the general sure. public health concerns. You will mm-hmm. see lower turnout because there are fewer polling places because they literally can't staff them. You're yep. gonna and, and and because generally older people tend to be the ones who staff polling places anyway, which is why we're to the National Guard younger ostensibly. So, um, so you have that. Um, <laughs> so you are gonna have a lower turnout.
2: ARP National Guard. In it. Was, anyway, go ahead.
1: <laughs> wow, there's some great mental images there. Yeah, but, yeah um, there. Are. But yeah, so so there is going to be lower turnout for various reasons, and I imagine you're going to see. Since older people are ones who more consistently turn out anyway, even for that statistical reason, I think you're going to see lower turnout amongst that group. But maybe maybe the turnout decrease will be disproportionate among that group because of their higher vulnerability. Um, right now, whether or not that affects electoral outcomes is tricky because you'd have to look at do older people in Wisconsin tend to vote more one way or the other or they right. more or less split down the middle. I'm not sure on that. Mm-hmm. Um that varies by state to some extent. Um, right. Another, we do know that younger people though tend to be more democratic. So just by having, even if you have older people or split down the middle, Democrat, Republican decreasing their turnout, um, and decreasing younger people's turnout at the same rate would still have the effect of potentially helping Democrats because younger people tend to vote, vote more Democratic. So you have that right. factor. So there's a lot of things you'd have to tease out, and we'll have to see what happens when the dust settled. There's also been a lot of ballots that have already been casted by mail. And so that, that's another set of factors.
2: Yep. Which means that even once this voting occurs, we may not know much right away. Uh, at least in the state level races, we're going to know that Joe Biden won Wisconsin. That's right. going to happen, right? And Donald Trump yeah. is going to win Wisconsin uh, from the yeah. primary level. That's not the interesting sure. part here. The interesting part is uh, all those smaller down ballot races where there's lots right. of absentee ballots to count. And yeah. so we might not know much from, from those state level races in Wisconsin for a while because of that. The
1: right. other thing to consider here, and I've I'm, I'm not looked at this closely, but um, I've heard that, his, uh, that Wisconsin... Um, has a pretty strong tradition of of get-out-the-vote efforts um, for minorities, um, for Blacks specifically, dry, help driving them to the polls if they need the yeah. transportation. And of course, that, uh, instead of giving them absentee ballots, whereas absentee ballots um, tend to be used more by people who are maybe maybe wealthier, but certainly people in more rural areas. Of course, those are going to tend to be more Republican. Um, so just the fact that absentee ballot, that deadline hasn't been extended. And because few people are going to go to the polls that could skew this sort of in the Republican direction as well, which also probably explains some of the um, behavior by the Republican legislatures.
2: Right. Yep. yep. Uh, this brings me to part two of this whole conversation about Wisconsin, which is um, for a long time, political scientists and maybe even a lot of the American public have known That there are certain uh, trends in American voting behavior that older Americans, especially white older Americans, tend to skew conservative and tend to skew Republican especially. Younger uh, Americans, especially persons of color, tend to skew uh, towards democratic processes. And there have been a number of efforts around the country for a long period of time to shift who's likely to show up to vote. Now, some of the more egregious, offensive, and discriminatory behaviors uh, were attempt were addressed by things like the Voting Rights Act, right? I mean, going back to the Civil Rights Era. Yeah. But some of the more subtle kinds of things have to, uh, that have been allowed to continue uh, in more recent years are things like gerrymandering, um, and uh, now we're getting to things like absentee voting, right? Because. Uh, Younger people who are more transient, who move more, um, may not know where their their polling location is. And so they might disproportionately benefit from having absentee voting or having Mm -hmm. um, uh, provisional ballots available at polling places. You just show up to a polling place somewhere and say, I want to vote. And they give you a, a provisional ballot which they later then confirm your identity and confirm that you're not voting more than once right um likewise um pressure to have a national like uh i voter id law where you have to present photo id of yourself uh disproportionately hurts people who are very poor who may not for various kinds of reasons have a photo id of themselves Right. right so All these things are designed to, in small ways, in marginal ways, push the vote in certain directions, or to be more blunt, to disenfranchise certain people, or to uh, um, empower the enfranchisement of certain people, Right. right? What, what's different about this Wisconsin case, and I'm going to couple this with something that Donald Trump said a couple of, uh, a week ago, uh, when Donald Trump was working with, uh, was responding to things that the democratically led house were trying to get into uh, the two to $2. $0.2 trillion relief package. The care bill was that, which I, I had to stop myself by the way. I don't keep wanting to say the care bear. Um, that's just a function, <laughs> a function of my age. Um, but in the care, in the care bill uh, there are, uh, the Democrats are trying to put in provisions making voting more accessible to young people, making voting right. uh, um, voting by mail more accessible. And the Republicans and Trump pushed back against this. And he said, and I, I'm paraphrasing here, if these kinds of provisions are in the law, Republicans will never win another seat. And so this was saying the quiet part out loud. This was saying basically um, – <laughs> We need to make sure that voting isn't too accessible, especially to people who are going to vote against Republicans because this is an electoral interest for us. I was really struck by that, and I'm struck by this behavior in Wisconsin, too, which seems decidedly uh, sort of brazenly um, about partisan interest rather than enfranchisement.
1: Right, yeah, because there's, you know, sometimes there are some sorts of laws that you know you can make a case where you know this protects integrity of the election or blah blah blah. But there are some cases that are just so blatantly um, designed, um, or you know, laws are designed um, to you know make it more difficult for certain groups to vote, or just you know not make it as available um, to certain groups, and you know sometimes politicians are um very frank about their motives and uh we are seeing more of that. So although conversely, you know, it's pretty pretty interesting that Democrats are trying to slip this into a must pass bill as well. So um, no, absolutely lots oh, yeah. of shameless partisanship all around.
0: So. Oh yes. I got in your emails from both sides about the terrible oh, yeah. things the other people were doing. So. Yeah, so. yeah but with two trillion there's a lot of room to do terrible stuff. <laughs>
2: Okay, can you explain what you mean about that, Andy? Because I think that's an important point for people to hear. Why is it?
0: Why is there room to do terrible things inside of a two trillion dollar bill? I mean, there's just so much in there, right? And you're trying to oh, yeah. you're trying to do this really important work of saying, okay, we have, uh, you know, a health public health crisis that is going to create an economic and a social crisis, which they're trying to ameliorate, right? I mean, that's the goal of this mm-hmm. bill. Yeah at least on paper, right? But you also say, but we also have things that we care about deeply as Democrats, as Republicans that we want to see happen and we want to slide these in there, right? And and because people can't vote against this bill. um, So we want to see if we can slide them in there and get them to stick. Um, And so I basically, you know, like my representative, Tom Emerson, you know, a note to me and all his constituents whose emails he has, right? Basically saying, like, I'm really unhappy with X, Y, and Z in this bill. However, right, I'm still voting for it, because, you know, we need this, right? We can't not have this bill, essentially. Um, And so I think that's the, you know, the situation is you have them over the barrel. Now, where this is obviously trickier and they they both had to concede some things, right? Is that the Democrats do control the house Republicans do control the Senate and the presidency. And so consequently, they couldn't just ram this through, um, They might've, if they had unified government. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point.
2: This is, uh, this is akin to driving a, uh, semi truck through a garage door, right? It's going to create a really big hole and in (laughs) the process, um, thing small things drafting behind the semi-truck can squeeze through the hole too. Right. Pretty easily. Yep. And so um this was yep. going to pass, the money was going to be there. And then yep. the, it's just a question of fighting about, you know, the kinds of things get attached to it. Right. And that's, and that's yep. what's happening here. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 You saw some pretty, pretty remarkable and just blatantly non coronavirus related things in here. Like the national forest service got $30 million, like over $30 million mm-hmm. for like, a variety of things like the, the Kennedy Hopefully center. Sorry. Actually the Kennedy center got a whopping $25 million. Like, are you yeah. kidding me? There's just so much pork. There's so much special interest uh, embedded in this. Oh, yeah. um, there are so many attempts by Democrats in the house to do sort of very permanent, large um, policy uh, changes as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the, yeah, it's the whole thing was a mess, but yeah. necessary, yeah. I suppose in a, weird the, the, the small
0: vehicles drafting in the wake of the semi-truck is a good analogy is a way to think mm, yes. I mean, it's just, you know, like how do you how do you pick them off to keep them from doing this right and yep. and it's hard it's
2: hard to do
1: yeah
2: i was gonna say that or i was gonna say lampreys on a shark because my daughter is studying the under ocean uh, wi- uh wildlife um but i'm not sure if people know what lampreys are so i'm just Okay.
0: <laughs> That's kind of gross, anyway. So. I, you know, I do because I was. I'm just rereading "When Christ and All His Saints Slept," um, which is a novel about 12th century um, 12th century England, and and the king. <laughs> and sorry, and, and the king in there dies from eating like a lamprey stew or something. So, because he apparently really liked it, and been told this was a bad idea, but he did it anyway.
2: Wow, Sam, I believe I also would die from eating lamprey stew. I think this is a uh... This is mm. this is how I leave the portal foil.
0: You know, we're all getting bored enough in this coronavirus. Tasty parasites. We might try it. If somebody brought it along, you would try it. You know. You oh, you bet I would. It. I, I, I'll try anything. But yeah, it's <laughs> that seems,
2: that seems <sighs> I got nothing better to do. Wow. So, so it's come to this. <laughs> exactly. Let's just say I opened up the uh, the dustier pages of my cookbook at this point. Um, <laughs> okay. So we have small of, children,
0: so I can't do too many of those. But yeah, <laughs>
2: same. Uh, it's just it's, it's will I eat it or not? All right. right. So <laughs> speaking, speaking of being cooped up with the pandemic, um, I don't want to take nearly as long on this as we took on the Wisconsin elections, but I do want to talk about um, something that a number of people on my social media have been complaining about. I have seen, in, in conjunction with sort of the Tom and Jerry analogy, Andy, most of my more partisan friends have mostly cut out partisan talk at this point. So even at like the personal level, people seem less driven by partisan rancor around the coronavirus and people are looking for and turning to desperately seeking even uh, sources of information, right? Sources of valid information. And as of yet, that's been not terribly tinged by partisanship. Now, that's mm. the area that's not true is the president's daily briefings uh where democrats are basically saying this is this is bald this is on its face not true the president's regularly saying things that are false um we shouldn't even be listing them or listening to them we should just be listening to what the experts are saying and then republicans who are following him pretty zealously um but more to the point why is it so hard to get Really specific information on the trajectory
0: of the coronavirus. Do we have a sense of this? I mean, I th- so I, I guess I'll just start with this, and I think like, I think there's so much that's unknown with this, yes. um, and I think that's what's hard. I mean, like, even when you hear the experts, right? When you hear. Say Jan Malcolm, our you know health commissioner, or Dr. Fauci, you know the in the national briefings, or people like that. Right? I mean, they're they're certainly much more knowledgeable than people like you and me and and the average guy in the street, right? But there's just so much they don't know, right? I mean, this is just such a. a an, it's so unprecedented. We don't know the effects of what we're doing. And this, this, this disease itself is, is so new to them. They're still trying to figure out exactly how does it get transmitted and what's really working to treat it. And, um, you know, there's just a lot we, we don't know. And so I think that, you know, any information, if I was going to put it in quotes here, right. That we get is always, I mean, it's somewhat provisional, right. It's like, this Mm -hmm. is what we think we know right now. This is our best guess. Um, And so I think that, that's a real challenge um, of just sort of saying, like, yeah, how do you even begin to really figure this out? And we will figure out a lot more about it, but probably not in time to actually really help with during the crisis. It'll probably
1: be more like post hoc yes. kind of stuff. Exactly. Yeah, yeah we, a, I was just going to add to Andy's point. You know, one of the reasons why we have such little information is because we have so little testing. Um, yeah. The testing is not widespread, so we don't know truly how... Far right. this disease has spread, and so we can't. You know, we it's it's hard to make good public policy decisions, and for the right. public to really, and you know, uh, actors in the marketplace and and um, and officials and politicians to be able to analyze the real risk um, that's right. involved with this disease. Um, and you know, in the data that we do have, um, you know, it's so limited. It's it's just you know, I like to tell my students, data you know, looking at a at a data set is just one little snapshot into reality. And the problem that we're all running into is we look at a data set, we look at a chart or graph and we say, this explains the reality of the situation. Really all it's doing is telling you one little dimension of it. um and so it's easy to sort of look at the news think that you become sort of an expert um because you have this data (laughs) in front of you um you know we you know political scientists you know too are not immune to this um when in fact you know we have to think really hard and really carefully about what data is and what it is not telling us um and so not only is there a struggle to get good information but there's a struggle to properly interpret Ah, uh, the information that we do have and make the right sort of extrapolations um, and realize just how limited those are,
0: yeah, and I think that point about like the testing issue is just such a big one. I mean we're we're testing so few people, right? Um mm-hmm. that and and there's a lot of more people who are sick usually with very mild symptoms because we're testing people who end up at the hospital, right? but, but, you know, we're not we're not catching those people. So we don't know. I mean, how widespread is this? And so consequently, we don't really know how deadly it is. Right. I mean, it, it right. is deadly, obviously. It's obviously killing a lot of people. But but what are, what kind of percentages are we talking about? We really don't know the answer to that question, because, you know, the the actual number of people with coronavirus is far higher than the number we've tracked. We just don't know how much further. Is it 10 times as much? Is it 100 times as much? I mean, um they were just speculating. I mean, I think I've, I may have mentioned this before in here, but, you know, we have a, some good friends. And they have, you know, there's a family of seven and they think they all had coronavirus, but they don't know. I mean, because they weren't able to get tested. They called and they basically the doctor said, well, stay at home, quarantine yourself for two weeks till after, you know, the last symptom of the last person. And then you, you know, you're good to go. Um, so there's seven of them. They probably had it, but we can't confirm that because it could have been, you know, one of several other things, too. Yeah. We can, We
2: should probably just briefly list the kinds of things we don't know, <laughs> which would be helpful for building a model, not necessarily for epidemiological purposes, but for public policy purposes. And one thing we'd like to know is uh, how infective coronavirus is like that is like what's the transmission yeah. rate we'd like yeah. to know that we'd like to know how effective social distancing and the various kinds of lockdowns and enclosures are at affecting the transmission rate we'd like to right. know that um, we'd like to know of the people who actually get coronavirus how many of them need to be hospitalized what percentage that is and right. what percentage of them actually die uh, we'd like to know that we don't know that either Um, We'd like to know how many people have already had coronavirus and have recovered from it without knowing that they had it. And uh, we'd also like to know if there's any level of uh, resistance after one as a person has had it. Um, We can't assume that once you've had it once, you can never get it again. And we can't assume that you're uh, just as susceptible as you were before. It's probably somewhere in between. There's probably some level of immunity that builds up, but it's not perfect. So, if we knew all of those things we could begin to make some judgments about public policy choices yeah. about herd immunity about uh proper recourse of action in terms of opening uh uh public life back up and we just don't know yet and we probably won't for a while so come kind of the the, the what we're waiting for are some medical magic bullets if we get a, um, a cheap reliable highly available test which tells us whether you've ever had it in the past never covered or whether you're you know, whether you're currently, um, you know, currently fighting the disease, that would be really important for figuring out uh, tracing uh, contact tracing. If we could get some kind of um, vaccine so that you could what you could be vaccinated and then have a high assurance that either uh, you won't get it or you won't pass it along or get it again, that would be important. Um, And we're sort of waiting for these things in the absence of these things. We have too many uncertainties to really effectively model this. And all we're gonna go off of are really half measures. Like mm-hmm. we're once we see the, the death rate drop right. or the infection rate or the testing rate drop, well, maybe they won't feel like the disease has passed, but we won't really know. And so no. okay, this leads me to my Chris Moore's moment of kvetching. And I'll make this quick, but um, <laughs> If you look at other pandemics that the United States has suffered in the past, it's been a long time since the 1918 flu and we've drawn way too much inference from 1918. There's, there's a lot of things that are very different compared to that time period. But one thing that did happen was as the seasons changed and as it got cold again and people moved indoors, the disease flared back up. It was actually even more deadly uh, in the fall region. And so one of my concerns is if this is at all like that, could we see a, a rebound of coronavirus which maybe gets better in sort of July and August, and then gets much worse right around the election time. And I don't even want to suggest that's going to happen because again, of all the things we just said, we don't know, but I'm concerned about that. I'm concerned what role that could play in our democracy.
1: Yeah. A, a couple of things. Um, and maybe to say I'm optimistic is um, is a stretch because usually I'm not an optimistic <laughs> person as most people would know. <laughs> know. Um, but so so, first of all, I think there's good reason to think that you know, in five or six months, we will have much more widespread testing that is readily available, that will yeah. allow us to take a more sort of targeted approach to self-isolation and quarantining, more like what you see in South Korea right now. We're just so yeah. far behind in that. Um, so that's yeah. the first thing. Also, by the time you know five or we're five or six months in, we'll probably have most of the ventilators that we need, um, and we'll have by then. We will also hopefully have a better idea of what sorts of um, medications. Um, that are useful against uh, the disease maybe you know not curative obviously but that can at least help with treatment either new yeah. ones that are de- yeah, palliative um, whether new ones that are developed or current ones that we currently have right now um, yeah. that actually be effective and there's some indication right. um, that some sorts of anti-malarial uh, um, medications for example could, Could be useful or perhaps others we don't know yet so so i'm I'm hopeful that there will be more sort of health mechanisms that are in place that will allow us to deal with flare-ups um in a more effective way and so that even if the disease does come um back that will be better equipped to deal with that without having to do some sort of you know whole you know broad scale just economic shutdown where we take you know 25 to 30 percent of the economy offline yeah
2: Guys, in this era of uncertainty and fear um, and isolation, can you make some recommendations of where people should turn for good information about the coronavirus? Reliable sources of information?
1: Well, um, wow. I mean, <laughs> as usual, I recommend people read from multiple quality news sources. Um, So right now I'm doing a lot of New York Times and Wall Street Journal, just because they have a lot of just good um, information on how the disease is spreading. The New York Times has a really nice um, set of charts and graphs that show not just um, the number of cases, but case rates, which is actually a more mm-hmm. important metric to mm-hmm. examine, um, and a good explainer of those. Um, I think most media outlets can um, air te- seem to be airing on the side of sort of sensationalism and uh, drama. Um, <laughs> so I think you have to keep that in mind as well, and that's true of both more conservative and more liberal outlets. So, I encourage you to read widely, read from reputable sources, um, and then. And then, you know, in the evening, just stop reading the news, take a break yep. Um, yep. and do you a know, detoxify, uh, so to speak. Yep. I think that's um, I think that that's what I try to do. I, I used to, you know, read coronavirus news, you know, all the way until the time I went to bed. And I just stressed out and it hurt my mm-hmm. sleep. So I'm like, You know what? After dinner, you know, we're just we're not going to worry about this. Um, we're going to we're going to put this to rest and reading this stuff all day long. Um, and at some point you just got to stop.
0: Yeah i agree with that and i i think I'm, I'm also kind of limiting how much i i consume with that um because frankly it's out of my control i can't do anything about this and mm-hmm. and so i i don't want to you know kind of keep up with the basics of what's going on so i am checking star tribune just to sort of see what's going on with this um to you know what's going on in minnesota that's been useful um, but you know, I'm not, not tracking that closely. The other place I always recommend is real clear politics. It's a nice aggregator yeah. in terms of just, if you want to get a sense of, of those different kind of partisan takes, because you know, <laughs> they're, 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 they're definitely out there, right. Uh, real clear. will give you a sense of kind of what, what are we saying on the right? What are we saying on the left? And what are we saying in kind of the more mainstream sources? So it's a nice, a nice way to get a snapshot of where we are right now. Yeah. Let me, let me just add to that.
2: I'm not going to go anything fancy here. Um, it is important not to just retweet or share a story on Facebook because it makes you feel good. Um, especially if the information tends towards, ah, I'm trying to think of the right word to use here. It would strain the bounds of credulity or seem too good to be true. If something seems too good to be true, it almost certainly is. Um, <laughs> There are not uh, uh, homeopathic cures for the coronavirus. There (gasps) are not. I'm serious. I've seen this. Is these are things I've seen come across my you know uh, 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 my frame. Um, This is not being. we will debate afterwards whether or not the threat is being overstated. This is not yeah. a hoax. Um, this is right. not um, This is not fabricated to um, benefit one party or another. Certainly the media is getting a lot of attention out of this and so it's not surprising the media is portraying this as a scary thing. However, it is a scary thing. Um, and so <laughs> uh, don't just assume that this is a product of, of media right. machinations. And I'll just say this. Um, if you're in Minnesota, the Minnesota Department of Health has a great website that offers only reliable information. Likewise, the Centers for Disease Control, um, although they were slow in st- some of their uh, physical responses, are putting out good, accurate information. And if you hear a politician or a news or a media person say something and you want to independently verify that, check out the Centers for Disease Control. They're providing good, reliable information. Yeah, agreed. All right, guys. We're running short on time here. So before we sign off, uh, I feel weird saying this. This is unlike, you know, my, my whole life is weird right now. I'm used to hanging out with uh, 18 to 22 year olds and you all. And instead I'm hanging out um, in my uh, spare bedroom um, with headphones on and a microphone in front of me. And this is a bizarre existence right now. I'm yeah. loving the extra time with the kids, but it doesn't really feel like Holy Week to me. Right? no. Um, no. uh, I can't believe Good Friday is around the corner and I can't believe Easter is this Sunday. As we, as political scientists, but also as, as, uh, as, as men of faith here, as we turn towards this, uh, this Easter season, is there something you'd recommend to people to meditate on, to read, to consume um,
0: uh, in this, uh, in this unusual Easter season? So I'm actually um, giving, the message, short message for our church's online um, Good Friday service um, this week. And I just, as I've been thinking about that, I've been thinking about, obviously, in a Good Friday service, thinking about focusing on the cross, right, of Christ and, mm-hmm. and the crucifixion of Christ and just been reminded like of how we as as Christ followers are called to take up our cross right and follow and and the thing about taking up your cross is it's i mean it's kind of the ultimate loss of control no one wants to take up a cross right in first century ancient world right it's the it's one of the worst things you could have to do um and you're you're yielding control you're being put into a situation you don't want to be into. And yet um, when Christ calls us to follow, he says, take up your cross and follow. Right. Um, and what does that look like for us? And I think this is a moment, you know, I, there's a lot I, I don't love about this Holy Week. I wish I could be with my church family and we could be worshiping and praying together. Um, but it is a moment where we're powerfully reminded of our lack of control uh, mm. of, over our, our lives. Right. And that, you know, in some sense, we're called to trust within that, right? We're called to take up our cross and to say, I am going to submit to, to the authority of um, my God and my Savior um, to, to decide what, what is useful and right for my life. And so I guess as I've been kind of reflecting on um, the sacrifice of Christ this week, um, it's been reminding me too of like, so what we as, and me as his follower, um, we're called to, um, to likewise imitate
1: him and take up that cross and follow him.
2: Mm-hmm. Thanks Andy
1: No, that's good I mean, I think for me um, You know, I I always recommend people And this is what I do in the Holy Week Is I just read through the gospel accounts Of uh, Christ's passion And and focus on those um, Obviously there's lots of wonderful um, You know, books on, on Christ's sacrifice That, you know, would be um, very Um, helpful um, and fruitful for Christians to read. Um, And so that's also a a, a good thing to do as well. But I think um, another way which we can do this um, is to, I I know a lot of denominations, including the denomination that Bethel belongs to, the denomination I belong to, which is different, um, are going to be holding a day of fasting and prayer um, on Good Friday. Um, And it's a way for all of us to participate um, in in prayer and on meditation on on on, on the truly important things. Yep. Um, and so that's something I plan on participating in in some fashion. Not exactly sure yet. I'm pretty sure there will be a fast from news um, on Good Friday. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that could be uh, a useful fast as well, actually, uh, so that we can. Be sure that we're meditating on um, on the things that are above, um, the things that are good and pure and noble, um, the things of God. Yeah, Amen.
2: Yeah, I, uh, Matt, I'm on the same page as you, and I just encourage people. If uh, um, a lot of institutions, including Bethel, are encouraging a day of prayer and fasting on Good Friday, and um, fasting doesn't have to be uh, um, a denial of food. it can be, and it probably is appropriate to do that unless your health or other kinds of things compromise you and prevent you from doing that. And if that's the case, then fast in other kinds of ways, fast from news right. media, fast from screens, um, uh, fast from the kinds of things that um, draw your attention um, away from the cross. Right. And so I guess I would encourage people, maybe in a more specific way, uh, obviously read through the Gospels, yes, spend some time reading about Jesus and his time um, and the Mount of Olives, uh, prior to his arrest, mm-hmm. um, for me the kind of two dominant emotions that I read into Jesus' experience there is our um, isolation um, yeah. and fear, right? Yeah. Loneliness of being essentially abandoned by his followers and his disciples, and and fear about what's coming next, um, fear about the torture and brutal death that he's going to, uh, he knows he's going to experience, and I think about the dominant emotions that predominate our um our experience right now or isolation and fear and um and loneliness and so i would just encourage people to meditate on that nothing that um, we experience isn't something that christ hasn't also experienced on our behalf
1: right exactly
2: um well i just uh, it there's there's no way to transition quite from that uh, contemplative moment to uh to this but i i would i do want to say before we sign off that um This is a podcast about the politics around elections, the political science of politics. Um, We know that politics are kind of weird right now, and so to both lighten the mood and also broaden the mood a little bit, we're going to be doing a couple different kinds of things moving forward over the next couple of months. If it is a slow news week, uh, as some of them have been in the past couple of weeks, we're going to be rolling out a couple different kinds of podcasts, maybe not so much about current issues. about enduring issues and we're going to do one of those next week so the next podcast you from us next tuesday is going to be a little bit deeper dive on what people need to know about the political science of elections so as we think about this electoral process once the electoral process kicks back up um, we move towards a presidential election what are some things political scientists would want to tell you what's that's a good half an hour primer on some things that you could know um, about about elections that might change how you look at how we make choices we're also going to be bringing back um, one of my favorite things to do, which is the politics of fictional worlds. We've done a few of these things over the course of the run of this podcast. We've explored the, 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 the politics of the Harry Potter world. We've explored the politics of Lord of the Rings. We've explored the politics of Star Wars. And um, we've got a couple more politics of fictional worlds uh, in the hopper too. So look for those things coming up uh, in, uh, in future episodes as well. Guys, anything else we need to say before we sign off? Sam said his head no. And he said no.
1: This is like the one time a week I get to see all your faces.
2: I know. I don't want to sign off because it means I have to go back to uh, just the stuffed animals behind me. Um, <laughs> <so.
1: laughs> Thanks, group.
2: Um, which (laughs) that that, that that makes no sense if you're not watching this on video okay um, (laughs) (laughs) speaking of social interactions you can always get a hold of us at channel3900 at gmail.com or directly on this podcast at electionshocktherapy at gmail.com i will be back in your feed next week until then thanks for listening to us Uh, have a blessed Easter and go Royals